Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the True Detective Podcast, brought to you by Bob Speck. My name is Sadie. That guy's name is Shane. Hola. Welcome, Shane, to podcasting. Thank you, Sadie. I'm glad to be here. I'm only going to speak in bullet points tonight, if that's okay. That's <laughs> fine. Yes. Yes. Keep, all, keep all of your bullet points numbered. I want to know that you're on bullet point 17. Or, or Stinko, whatever or whatever. Oh, God, no. No, let's not get confusing. <laughs> okay. Let's not do that. Um, so I just finished watching season one today, and then I realized somehow I missed the part when Maggie and uh, and Cole slept together and the fight right afterwards, and I'm like, where was that? And then I went back and found that, and then I watched that. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, so you're all caught up. I've, I finished it, I think, last week. And, okay, were you as impressed the second time around as you were the first time around? I was. I was just as confused, though. <laughs> what parts were confusing? All of it? <laughs> no, not not all of it, but just yeah. There's so many names, and I downloaded this um, list today. It's like a glossary of of main characters and things on the show, and I found it really helpful. It's like, oh yeah, these people, because there's so many names and so many like you know um, Louisiana names like Fontenot and Ledoux, and they're all like those names that get easily confused, and I'm easily confused. Oh, absolutely. Like, I got the main characters down, but when they were talking about the specifics of the case, like the little girl that went missing and everything, I yeah. uh, did not remember as much from a year ago as I thought I had. Yeah. Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah, there was, <clears throat> I knew there was, there was a yellow king. I knew there was the spaghetti-faced man. See, um, and you know, I knew that before watching the show at all, because I didn't get to watch it when it aired live last year. I had to watch it later. But uh, I knew things mm-hmm. like that, and so I was like, this is obviously going to be a really weird show, and I was not mm-hmm. disappointed. Yes. So did you did you like it as much? Did you? Yeah. Uh, a lot of it, like I said, some parts of it I didn't remember at all, so it was good. It was like seeing it for the first time. But uh, mm-hmm. overall, I, I loved it. I'm still impressed with uh, with the main guys, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I'd have to say, before this show, I did not expect them to do a prestige drama project like this and do it this well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were they were amazing. And that's my kind of my main thing about the whole first season was that the case is interesting. I wrote this down. The case is interesting, but it's Marty and Russ's relationship that's the heart of the show. And, you know, I just love that. Just the part when they're in the car talking, mm-hmm. and especially at the beginning. The beginning was really funny. When he says shit like, you know, I don't sleep, I just dream. And like, dude, <laughs> really? Well, and like, the thing don't is, say, everybody, don't say that shit around here. 
everybody knows that guy, right? That guy that is just going to tell you his theories about the universe, whether you want to hear him or not. And it's sort of an overeducated sort of, uh, I don't even know how to say what I mean, but just that guy. A little pretentious. Yes, very pretentious. Okay, yes. so that's actually, um, I've got that written down um, on my notes. I said, Rust Cole, pretentious blowhard or wise sage? <laughs> a little bit of both. Yeah. More towards the pretentious blowhard most of the time, I felt. <laughs> but, it, you know, it makes him makes him a well-rounded character. He's not, oh, yeah. you know. But, but so my favorite thing, and I wrote this down, too, is mm-hmm. that Rust may be fucked up, but he knows who he is, and he is not a liar. And he, Yeah, he doesn't and, apologize for it. No, and Marty, Marty thinks he's a good guy, but he's a total liar to himself and to everybody else. And he's like, you know, a man without a family at this age can't be trusted. And it's like you're out banging everyone you can. I feel like and in many being mean. I feel like in many ways Marty is like the uh, stereotypical TV detective, like the guy that has taken some bad cases and they've got to him personally, and he winds up cheating on his wife, but. He really does love her, and he really loves his kids, but he doesn't spend enough time with them, and they're, you know, they're recreating crime scenes with their dolls. Anyway, a lot of it felt like, okay, this is stereotypical detective guy, and that's why Rust was there to, you know, hit him upside the head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, when he, like, calls him on, you know, you're wearing the same clothes as last night, and, like, you know, is that actually your wife's pussy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, yeah, and Rust. And Marty doesn't like to be called on that shit because no one has ever called him on that shit before because he is a stereotypical detective and detectives, they all back each other up. They're all part of that old boys club, you know, where they go out and drink beers and they do what they do and and no one has ever called him on a shit before. And it pisses him off because he doesn't want to know that he's actually a bad guy. Yeah. Well, you know what? You mentioned them sticking together and I was thinking about how uh, Marty and Rust over the course of the, the show, you know, we see that they were partners who didn't really get along. And then several years later, they wouldn't even speak to each other anymore. But when this new investigation comes up and the detectives start asking uncomfortable questions to them, they circle the wagons. They protect each other still, you know, after mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. And even Maggie. And even Maggie. Oh, yeah, yeah. She shows anything. up and she's like, uh, are you trying to railroad them? No, I'm not. I'm not having any part of this shit. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. Uh, what else did I like? Um, oh, I, my favorite line, my favorite line in the entire thing, like right at the beginning when he says, let's make the car a place of quiet reflection. <laughs> yes, just, that just, was just good. more of that, you know. Yeah, it was great, and it made me really happy. Um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about, have you have, have you read anything about the second season? Uh, I've seen the trailers for it. I know a little bit about it, but not much at all, no. Yeah. So I've, uh, I've done a fair amount of research today, and uh, I think there's a, a judgment is kind of a connecting theme. Like uh, he says that, you know, he that Russ like sits there in judgment of him. And and uh, then someone in the um, the new season trailer says something about sitting in judgment or something like that. And so, I had just, you know, that. yeah. So like who it's just kind of I think just connecting theme is who are you really and are is, is other people's perception of you important or you, just who you are? And, you know. Do you know, is the new season uh, going to take place over several years like the first one? Or is it going to be more contained? It, I'm, from what I'm reading so far, but, I mean, no one really knows. But it seems so yeah. far fairly contained. But I don't know. I'm wondering whether there will be flash forwards, whether there will be flash backwards. You know? I hope so. And I think the main difference is that we have four main characters this time instead of just two. And oh, so okay. That's cool. That's kind of interesting. Yes. 
Um, oh. And I, I love Vince Vaughn. And apparently everyone's playing against type, too. Like, Vince Vaughn is very, like, moody Whoa. and dark, and Colin Farrell's kind of a and not very fun. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's exactly what they did last year. Like I was saying earlier, before I watched True Detective, I thought Woody Harrelson was just that guy from Cheers, and I thought Matthew McConaughey <laughs> was just a stoner surfer dude, you know, that was never going to be in any serious roles at all. And then they both came in and pulled their A-game and just completely killed it. They did. I mean, have you seen Dallas Buyers Club? Well, I have now, but it was after I saw season one of mm. True oh, Detective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dallas Buyers Club. A little bit of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, and he's in uh, Contact also. McConaughey is back from like '96 oh, or whatever. I haven't seen that As since the, it came out. Yeah, he's like he's like the preacher guy who who is friends with her, and yeah, I love him in that. I think he's adorable in that. So. But, so I wanna, and I love Woody Harrelson too. So Milo, Milo came out and I was watching it the other day, and I'm like, pause, I'm like, please <laughs> stop coming out while I'm watching this. And I'm like, hey, it's that turkey guy from that turkey movie that you like. And he's like, well, isn't it also Hamish from Hunger Games? I'm like, it is. You are <laughs> such a good boy. You are such a good boy. <laughs> Did you ever watch Natural Born Killers? Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. I've never seen it, but uh, <laughs> that's another Woody Woody Harrelson that I haven't seen yet. Uh, well, somebody I, sold I was, that to I us was, at the store the other day. I need to take it home and watch it. I think you should. It's really, really weird. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of controversy about that movie at the time. But I, I liked it because, I don't know, I was just in a weird space in my life where I'd, like, not been able to watch The Cook that Eats His Wife and Her Lover. But then <laughs> I saw that, and I was like, oh, I can deal with this. I can deal with, like, weird-ass, ultra-violent shit. So how is he <laughs> in that movie? Is he good? Oh, he's fantastic. Okay, yeah, well then, I, I, guess, that, I guess it was yeah, just me that was surprised. I guess it was just me that was surprised by how well they both did in this one, because I, my preconceived notion of both of these guys was just not that great. Yeah, Woody from Cheers. That's exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah, one no. thing that I did love over the course of season one was the, like, sort of, uh, the strangeness, like, the Cthulhu uh, stuff in it, like, uh they would talk about the yellow king or the man with the spaghetti face or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I bought into it somewhat. I think going into the finale, I was like 50, 50 on whether there was actually going to be some sort of cosmic thing happening on this show, or if it was just mm-hmm. a regular detective case. And I, you know, I didn't feel disappointed by the ending, but I could, it could have gone either way for me. Honestly, I, I love cult stuff because it creeps me the fuck out. And because I live in the rural South where, you know, there could be people out there, you know, having you cult sure do. stuff. <laughs> in the middle. I mean, yeah, those like big, like wide open spaces. And there's that like fucking bunker in the middle of nowhere. Like when they zoomed out on that, oh, I'm like, yeah. oh, God, there's places oh, so you can drive half an hour from my house. And there's places that there could be there. And nobody would even know. We got the National mm-hmm. Forest out here. There could be all sorts of shit going on. I don't know about I know that's what I love about it. Yeah, that you, that you have no idea. These people are can be your neighbors or whatever. And the fact that I love that you know, um, like episode five, they solve the case, and you're like, oh, okay, so now what are they gonna do? And then like flash forward, hey, what if we didn't solve the case? Yeah. Like, oh shit. <laughs> well, I loved. You mentioned episode five. I think that's the one. Is that the one that ends with you first seeing the guy in the gas mask? Uh, no, that's four. Five is okay. the one that ends with them bringing, bringing the kids out. Okay. Well, all right. Episode four then. I, the first time I watched this, I knew it, was, it had gotten brave reviews. Like I said, I watched it after it originally aired. So I knew it was going to be good. I knew that I would get into it. And I, I love a good mystery, but I watched the first mm-hmm. three episodes and it was very atmospheric and beautiful and I liked it. But then you and get also, to that. Wait, wait. Sorry. 
Wait, I, I, I'm going through my notes. It's actually the end of um, of three. Huh. I wrote gas mask and underwear. Okay. So, yeah, it's the end of three. End of three. So I get I yep. get most of the way through three episodes just thinking, okay, this is a good show. I'm going to keep watching it. But then that scene at the end of episode three is the one that froze me in my tracks, and I said, I have to watch this show now. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you noticed, I love in the season two trailer, the very last shot of that trailer is the guy with the oh. mask on putting his finger to his face. And uh, That's very it's creepy. I mean, I don't know. These directors have a way of just showing you, you know, a face and it freaks you the fuck out. Mm-hmm. You just freeze on a scene mm-hmm. without uh, doing anything. One thing I find interesting is is that Cole was talking to Errol Childress in um in like episode five or whatever when, um, when Marty starts talking the horn. Yeah, when he starts talking the horn, he's like, we got to go, we got to go. If he had given him, like what he said was like, you know, give me 10 minutes with someone, I'll know he's the guy. Yeah. If he had actually talked to that guy for a little while, he might actually like figured something, you know, but didn't notice. And he had like dirt all over his face. So he didn't really notice the scars. But if he had had a moment to actually hang out with that guy, he might have thought something. What did and you think about what? What did you think about that guy uh, in the actual finale? We see a lot of like his life there with his, I don't know, mother, sister, something like that. Uh, it's his, his half, half, half sister. That's right. Well, he does this like educated voice. You know, he, he talks like somebody that went to college for a minute there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. that's such a dichotomy. I love that. Well, and then they show later on when they come in the house, when uh, Marty breaks in the house, that he's got piles and piles of VHS tapes all around his TV. So he's just been so practicing? Think, yeah, I think he's just he can, like, do whatever voice he wants. But in the end, like, the very end when he's actually talking, I think that's, like, the real him, you know? Yeah. And it's super, 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 super creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that was interesting. That, so when the little girl was making that, like, CSI crime scene thing, it can it can be taken that way, but then there's also this Mardi Gras thing with like the five guys in masks and stuff. Oh yeah. And then and then uh, Cole makes those little beer can guys, and he he makes five eventually and puts them all in a little circle. But before he stands up, the last one it's laying down, and it totally looks like that same little scene. Shit. There's all kinds of weird little callback shit. Look at you picking up nuances <laughs> and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also thought when they got to uh, to Ledoux's, um, uh like mess farm with two little girls, I was just like, oh, there's a lot of folk art. This is just a private arts and crafts farm. That's all. You have spent it's- too much time in Portland. I have. <laughs> you have too many, too many arts and crafts fairs, too much. No, if, yeah. if you see a murder scene, you think, oh, yeah, that looks nice. I could put that on the wall. Uh, uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. But I also, so in that, that scene right after that happens, I love when they're um, telling the story of how it all went down. And it's like, and then they already saw us, and then they started shooting, and we were running away, and then, like, juxtaposed with what actually happened. That's such yeah. a, it's a ma- masterful scene. And, and then, I remember I mean, the first, just, I was going to say, the first time I watched that scene, I remember, like, paying attention to what they were physically doing and thinking, like, seeing the, okay, that's why, okay, he's firing out there, so it looks like they got shot at, and they're having to do this and this mm-hmm. and this, and the way that they set it up and they knew what to do. I mean, they're cops. Of course, they know what to do, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was great. Yeah, and just, yeah, he's like, we've got to make this look right, and he does it in seconds without even questioning. Mm-hmm. When, like, when Marty comes out and shoots that guy in the head, he's like, okay, all right. Well, that's the thing. This thing. You know, Rust, <laughs> Rust can be very annoying, but he is, in the end, a good partner, 
and loyal. Mm -hmm. He will get your back. And I think he values loyalty. I think he values loyalty a lot. Like later on when he finds out that Marty's cheating on his wife, he gets mad about Mm -hmm. it. And it's before he started sleeping with her. He's just mad at him for not being loyal. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he's like, I don't want to talk about this. It's none of my business. I don't want to fucking talk about it. Mm -hmm. Totally your deal, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but I, so I am just I'm not very up on my on my Cthulhu stuff because I was listening to another podcast about this and they were mentioning all this Cthulhu and Lovecrafty and stuff and I'm not at all up on that. But I do want to ask you. Okay. So at the end, when you know we know that that Cole has um, hallucinations, do you think at the end with that swirling sky thing, do you think that might have actually been there? I I don't think so. Um... No. There was never any indication in the rest of the show that there was ever any realness to any of this. Uh, it mm-hmm. was, you know, it was completely plausible that the whole thing was just a cult or, you know, uh, the people it turned out to be. So I don't think that it was real. I think it was just this is one of the things that Rust sees that makes him who he is. You know, it's one of those yeah. moments where he, he he probably took that and built upon his time as a flat circle philosophy, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible that um, uh, what's his name, Errol Childress, thinks that's there, and that that maybe for a second, like like Cole is like, this is what this place is to this guy, maybe? Because why would you see well, that? Why would you see the big swirling thing up well, there? What was that? The thing is, uh, Rust and Marty are point of view characters, you know. Mm-hmm. So when we see something like that, I don't think it's uh, I, I complete er, early Ehrlich. What's his name? Errol. Errol, thank you. I don't think that's yeah. supposed to be what Errol is seeing because at no other point in the show do we see anybody else's point of view but that is true. Rust and Cole. I mean, Rust and Marty. That's so what, it's probably what is there, Marty is seeing. Or Rust is, is seeing. There any scene, is there any scene in the show that one of them is not in? Actually, I just thought of one. When the, uh, oh. the, when the detectives are interviewing uh, Marty's wife. Oh, okay. Oh. But other than that's- that... <laughs> There's not, is there? Huh. No. That's interesting. Good good answer, because, yeah, I was thinking about that today. I'm like, that's one of those shows where it's so hard, you know, like Breaking Bad. Like, Walt's in almost every scene, you know, and this show is, must have been just brutal yeah. <laughs> to do. But whenever it's I look so at something hard. like that, like, is this symbolic or whatever, I always try to think about, you know, what are they trying to show us? Like, I was talking to somebody about digression here for a second. I was talking to somebody about Game of Thrones, and we were talking about, like, some of the – specific characters on that show and I said now this is just my theory I don't know anything about the future but I said the show started out by showing us the Stark family and especially like mm-hmm. Jon Snow and all those people so I feel like we are intended to be following the Stark family more than anybody else I love the other characters I'm rooting for Daenerys to win it all but we mm-hmm. started with the Starks <laughs> I would be surprised if the person who does win or the last person standing or whatever is not I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Stark so that's I the sure thing you have to, when you watch shows, you don't want to, you know, overanalyze them, but you do want to think, what is the writer's intent? Why are they showing me this scene? Why are they showing me this part of this character? Because it's going to play off later and it's something mm-hmm. I'm going to need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yep. Or it's just setting the stage for what they're going to do later. Mm-hmm. I love, yeah, I, I did really, really love this show and I was having a hard time getting through it and just finding time to watch it. But it was great because today no one was at work. So I'm like, oh, yay, I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to do, like, I don't know, a little bit of shopping. I'm going to do, like, a half an hour of work, and then I'm going to watch an hour and a half of True Detective, and then I'm going to do my nails. 
So, yeah, I had a good day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, when I'm in between customers, I was putting on Bates Motel on Netflix the other day and just watching that. Yeah, I started watching that. Is it good? Should I keep going? Uh, I am, I'm thinking it's all right, but I hear that it gets really good in, like, the second season. So I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. So um, you didn't watch The Leftovers last year, right? No, and I still haven't yet, and I'm going to. That's okay. No, this, I'm not berating you. I'm just, this is a thing. Okay, so, you know, you've watched The Americans. You know Margot Martindale, the one who plays Claudia? Oh, yeah, on yeah the she's awesome. So, so she, when I first saw her on The Americans, I was like, is that the chick from The Leftovers who plays Patty, who's like one of the, the white-wearing, non-talking, smoking people? And it isn't. But that woman who plays Patty on The Leftovers is the creepy sister who makes flowers with her brother on the last episode of this show. Oh, cool. So then I looked at her, though, and I thought, hey, is that Margot Martindale? So then I typed in Margot Martindale, true detective, and found a thing that says that actually these two women are very often confused. Oh, okay. Well, I, was <laughs> I know. Thinking, it was like, you don't... I'm like, oh, my God, that's so funny because I'm not, I'm not crazy. They do look a lot alike, and they are very easily confusable. Yay. You said on The Leftovers, uh, the character you're thinking of is part of a group that doesn't talk. Yeah, they, well, um, yeah, do none of them talk? Yeah, no, they don't, they don't, yeah, they don't talk, but they smoke all the time, and they wear white. Because from what I've seen on The Americans, you don't hire uh-huh. Margot Martindale for your show and not have her talk because she can deliver some lines, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this chick, she can emote the fuck out of some stuff just with her eyes. And, oh, yeah, And with yeah. writing. And I mean, they write all the time. They in, write stuff down and then just, like, shove it in your face. Oh, okay. Well, in this yeah. show, you know, in, in True Detective, she did – I mean, how do you tell an actress, first off, how do you tell an actress, this is the role you're going to play? You're going to play this yeah. deeply, oh. deeply disturbed, mentally challenged woman who is, yeah, making flowers <laughs> with her brother. Supremely, supremely inbred. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, that how do you so tell somebody gross. this yeah. is the role you're going to play and you need to emote the hell out of it, make it look real mm-hmm. and make it look like mm-hmm. you are in some scenes, make it look like you're having a great time. And in some scenes you're oh. afraid and crying. <laughs> yeah. So and doubt and doubt is her name. Oh, thank yeah, you. she's great. I mean, yeah, and she's I mean, she's a major player on the leftovers. She's on every episode of leftovers and she's great. And then, and then they're like, well, we're making this like, do you want to do this thing for like, I don't know, five minutes where you're a super, super freaky weirdo? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> if I was a, if I was a working actor or something, somebody comes along with a role. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, I yeah, feel like I, mean, it's, yeah. I can do it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm happy that I recognized her in the end, or, you know, sort of recognized her in that I thought that she was the other chick and looked her up. <laughs> um, she actually played, um, she played Tom Hanks's mom in Philadelphia. Oh, I never saw <laughs> like, Philadelphia either. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, it's lovely. But, okay. Yeah. But let's not digest that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. So we're looking at a review of season uh, two. Um, I just, not this one. I, I haven't read any specific today. reviews, but I have heard vague things like on Twitter of some of the people that I follow saying uh, it's not as good as season one. <clears throat> is what yeah, I but I mean, all, all of it isn't out yet. So, oh, yeah. I mean, well, none of it's out I mean, none of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and Justin Lin is directing the first two. He's the guy who makes the uh, Fast and the Furious movies. He is also so, directing the new Star Trek movie coming out next year. Oh, is he? Yep. That's awesome. Good, because, I mean, I, I trust him as an action director, like, <laughs> above all else, you know. Michelle McLaren, Justin Lin, 
<laughs> that guy can do some action. So I mean, maybe this this season might not be as like sleepy as oh, last. Oh, hey, season. speaking and of which action, is a lot of people. A lot of people's complaints about last season was it could be like really slow and really boring. Maybe they just set the heart and they're going to be like, fuck it, then car chases. Hey, speaking of action, <laughs> uh, yeah. we didn't mention that one scene from last season. Oh, the uh-huh. That one continuous shot when they're doing the raid. Five, five minutes, 55 seconds. I turned it the other day. Wow. That is the most impressive. <laughs> It's I mean, really cool. They're running around. They're going around buildings and over fences and shit. He's got somebody in custody, basically. He's holding a gun to them. He's fighting off other people. Yeah. He's waiting for Marty to show up at a specific time at a specific place, and he has to get there. And then he all does. These, all these people <laughs> have to make it to their marks at the right moment uh-huh. for the camera to catch them. It's just amazing. And I mean, yeah, and the cars, the cars have to be in the right place at the right time. And, and, and I, they actually, they, they crane lifted the cameraman over that fence. Yeah. To like get him. Yeah, that that was amazing. And that I think incredible. that I think I read that it they did cheat a little bit. Like there's a couple of shots where they had to digitally cut between things, but you can't tell, and it looks great. You know. What I heard, what I heard, what I heard was that they shot it nine times, and they made places where they could do that. They claim that it's one shot. That's what I heard. So they, they did. They, they did use one, one take. They just could have mm-hmm. swapped it up if they needed yes. to. Yes. Okay. If okay. they that's what I heard, but I mean, they could also be lying. That's what that's what, that's what you heard from your uh, well-placed sources within the uh, in- entertainment industry. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what I heard. Yes, <laughs> yes. But it was incredible, oh. and I watched it like I watched it like a bunch of times, just over and over and over and over. And, it was uh, really, really impressive. And talking about the sleepy scenes, when you said that, I I was. Suddenly, I had to think, what? Wait, sleepy scenes? Really? But I thought, well, there's a lot of it that is like slow panning shots over parts of Louisiana. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, those Which scenes, I, I did not did not bother me at all that we had a little bit of a slowdown for those scenes because that was so cool. And uh, mm-hmm. I told you this the other day, but uh, I went kayaking with some friends here in Alabama and we went – uh, about eight miles along this river, and for large parts of it, all I could think was, "This looks like True Detective. Like this looks like the sort of environment <laughs> that they were in for parts of it." And I was like, "I hope there's not, you know, some sort of crazy cult on the side of the river here, but probably not because this is a tourist <laughs> yep. attraction. So I'm I'm probably okay, but you know, probably yeah, probably. We also hummed like a few 80%. bars of the Deliverance music, but you know, <laughs> of course, <laughs> because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anything else on season one you want to touch on or uh, let's see. anything? I'm trying to look over what I wrote down. Just one more thing. Um, whoever was on the production team that was making all the artifacts that probably oh, mm. first off that probably took for fucking ever to make those little wooden teepees. Cause there's that one scene where he's in yeah, the yeah. classroom and there's about 700 of them. And then mm-hmm. also the giant hole in the tree, that one was really cool. I just feel like somebody spent a lot of time and made those look good and also homemade, you know, which I think mm-hmm. can be difficult. Yeah. So props well, to production so, is all I'm saying. Yeah, so not I'm not saying we're not coming back to season one, but on season two, it takes place in a town that is based on another town called Vernon that's like 5.2... It's a five, it's a bleak 5.2 square mile sprawl of warehouses, factories, toxic chemical plants, and meat processors that looks like the backdrop for a racer head. Oh wait, this um, is um this is part of LA, right? It's um an outskirt of LA. Actually, it's its own little town. And at one point, because of corruption, 
um, in this town. They tried to annex it into L.A., but it fought it, and so it is its own little township. But it only has, like, something like 200 people live in it, but, like, 1,800 people work there or something. No, it has 1,800 businesses, but only 200-something people actually live there. Yeah. It's just, like, a bunch of warehouses and plants and creepy-ass shit. So I'm kind of looking forward to that as as a very big juxtaposition for the wide open spaces. Okay, well, see, that's exactly exactly what I was about to bring up, because I have written down here, is L.A. going to be less interesting than Louisiana? (laughs) Uh, Actually, what I wrote down was, is L.A. less interesting than L.A.? Uh, You know, Louisiana. Um, (laughs) So, but I think what you just described about, like, a basically empty warehouse district, I think there's ways to make that just as creepy and off-putting as swamps and, uh, you know, open spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the town is called Vinci, as in Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, okay. That sounds like an aspirational name for them. Like, uh, like they're really trying. They're like, uh, we'll name ourselves after a classical artist, and then we're going to have concrete and warehouses. But, okay. (laughs) And it has a history of corruption. And so the brief description of the first episode of season two is, the disappearance of a city manager disrupts a lucrative land scheme and ignites an investigation involving three police officers and a career criminal who is moving into legitimate business. Hmm. So the career criminal is Vince Vaughn. And okay. he uh, used, used to be kind of a, a low-time thug person, and I think he worked in casinos. And I now can he's see him as a like, thug, yeah. Yeah, make a name for himself. <laughs> the police officers are Rachel McAdams, um, uh, Colin Farrell, and uh, Taylor Kitsch from, like, Friday Night Lights, which I've never yeah. watched. Oh, man, but, uh, God. Okay, first off, pause. Yes. Friday Night Lights is amazing. Yeah. So well done. Okay. Anyway. Oh, well, then you know who this person is. That's cool. So, yeah. no, going into this, you know who that person is. Yes, I do. Well, I know That's I know cool. all of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Rachel McAdams. Well, I, yeah. I love all of them, actually, okay. except for him, I, well, which I don't know. But Let me ask you this. Okay, you're obviously a big fan of these guys going in here. Okay, like I said yeah. earlier, the opinions of McConaughey and Harrelson, at least in my mind, going in were not the best. Going into oh. this, I got to say – Right now, I feel like Colin Farrell and Vince Vaughn, when I think of a Colin Farrell movie or a Vince Vaughn movie, I think of, like, douchebag bros, you know? Okay. So I'm, right. I'm wondering what uh, what you think of them going in. Um, so I love Vince Vaughn um, in, in, in his douchebag bro movies. I do mm-hmm. like Wedding Crashers and, and stuff like that, but I love him in the remake of Psycho. I thought he was a really, really good Norman Bates. And, 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 I never watched you know, that because quite, I felt like, what was the point? It's a shot-for-shot shot remake. Yep, it's fun. It's really fun, okay. actually, to watch it watch it like side-by-side. Side. Like, watch the first 10 minutes of one, mm-hmm. then watch the, t- first, the, next, the first 10 minutes of the second one, and just I go back and can, forth. I bet you can find them just side-by-side side on YouTube or something, you know? Like, somebody's probably edited probably. that together. Probably, but yeah, I had a friend over one night, and we spent we spent four hours doing that. Just like, okay, pause, <laughs> next one. Um, um, I thought he was really great as just kind of a, a creepy, seething guy. And I'm sure that there's other things I like him in. Colin Farrell, my favorite thing he did was a uh, movie called Phone Booth. Have you seen Phone Booth? Oh, actually, yeah, I did see that. I saw that when he came out. I really out. like him in that. I don't I remember much he's about really it. Amazing in that. Except it had Keeper Sutherland in it. It does. It's funny because this um, double feature that I constantly loan to my friends mm-hmm. is Red Eye and Phone Booth, yeah. which is Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams is in the other one. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're both an hour, like hour and a half long tops. They both are like set in like small, small locations with a limited cast and just like small, tense little things. I love those two movies together. And I think it's interesting that, boom, now these people are in a movie together. 
What have I seen Rachel McAdams in recently? I feel like there's something in the last few years that she was in that was big, and I can't place it. Um, I don't know, because there is something, though. I didn't look her up today. But mean Girls. Okay. So you keep, maybe you just watch Mean Girls again. You keep talking. And it, <laughs> while we're talking in the background, I'm going to pull up IMDb. I'm going to try to figure this out. Hmm. But, yeah, yeah, because uh, I'm sure that – was she not in one of the Batmans maybe? That's what I thought, but I don't remember. Um, yeah. What I was going to ask is uh, – oh, no, I was going to say uh, Colin Farrell. I think probably my favorite Colin Farrell movie is the first one I ever saw with him in it, which was uh, way back – it was uh, – I think it was called American Outlaws. And he was okay. in uh, either the – fuck, what are the two groups? The, there's the Kelly gang and the other gang. Anyway, he was involved in all that. And I liked, I liked that movie. I don't remember particularly liking him, but I was like, oh, this is finally a Western that's not terrible. Oh, yeah. So the same way that you gave, uh, gave props to the production people, um, I also want to give props to makeup and costumes. Okay. So wait – the way that they time traveled, but without making it super obvious. Like even the Americans sometimes is a bit like, "Hey, look at this '80s hair," you know. Oh yeah. Like they well, didn't, they didn't well, really do that. Even even in '95, it's that. And then like the way Maggie's hair changes just from 2002 to 2012, not tons, but just a little. You know, it's not. It's all like, yeah, it doesn't bang you over the head with the period stuff. Yeah, absolutely, and. um well, the only thing, when you look at the period stuff, when you look at 1995 versus, what was it, 2010 that it was supposed to be set in? Uh, well, there's, yeah, there's, not, there's 95, 2002, and 2012. Okay, 2012. Uh, when you look at the scenes from 95 to 2012, like, the biggest thing is that wig that they put Matthew McConaughey in. And yeah. it, looks, <laughs> it looks both, I think it looks both terrible and exactly right, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Well, yeah, and also, I mean, also uh, Marty's hair, too, because Marty definitely, you can see uh, the back of a wig in the 95 stuff. They went the other way with him. Like, yeah. you know, he doesn't have hair, so they put hair on him. And then the 2002, he's starting to lose his hair, and it's getting a little tuft on top, but it's still kind of blondish. And then 2012, it's gray and gone, you know. Okay, I looked up so, Rachel McAdams, and, okay, she was in Midnight yeah. in Paris, which was oh, yeah. not good. Which. Which and you hated, and I loved. I hated it. There was not a likable character in that whole damn movie. Okay, and she was in the two Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. Oh, I love those. Well, especially the first one. I could have sworn, and I'm a bad fanboy for being wrong about this, but I could have sworn she was in one of the comic book movies that came out recently, but not yeah, according to IMDb. That's weird that I thought that, too. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I love it. I love the Sherlock Holmes. Like I took Chris to see that, or not? I took him, but Chris and I went to see that, and he was like, "Is this like a superhero movie?" Oh like, shit! Apparently, I figured out. <laughs> I figured out why I thought that. Oh, I was confusing Rachel McAdams with Amy Adams, who plays Lois Lane now. Oh, <laughs> snap! Yep. There you go. There um, you go. Anyway, no. Looking forward to Rachel McAdams. Looking forward to all of them, but I, like I said, yeah. just. I I hope that this season is able to do what last season did, which is change my opinion about these actors. You know. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's that's actually a cool way of, of going into this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had some things that I starred along the way as I was reading things. Um, uh, first one was Justin Lin. We discussed that. Oh, and before we get there, so uh, episode two. This is the snippet of episode two. A bizarre murder brings together three law enforcement officers and a career criminal, each of which must navigate a web of conspiracy and betrayal in the scorched landscapes of California. 
So in the first one, the guy has disappeared. In the second one, he's dead. So. Well, there damn we it, Sadie, now you're giving me spoilers. Now I know the guy's going to die in this show that is about <laughs> murder investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one, uh, it says, uh, this is a quote from Colin Farrell, aesthetically it's very different. There are four main characters as opposed to two character structure that's in the first piece, but it's a lot of the same sensibilities and a lot of the characters are struggling with the same kind of existential quandaries and questions that are related to meaning and purpose and the burying of darkness that may be in your past, which is exactly what I was hoping for. That's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I like that shit. I was just thinking, uh, you know, I was talking about, oh, well, you know, this show is about murder. I should know that the guy's going to get murdered. And then I was like, well, you know what? It doesn't have to be. It's (laughs) called true detective, not true homicide detective. They could be finding lost puppies. They could spend the whole season finding lost puppies and reuniting them with little orphan children. And that will be the whole season and nothing will go wrong and and nobody will die. (laughs) And you should ask Nick Pizzolatto to to write you that children's book. Yeah. Someday. Okay. You can do that. Here's a question. First season, uh, end of the finale, they're lying there in the pit, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, helicopters overhead, whatever, but uh, they don't know anybody's seen them. At that point in that episode, I thought one or both of them was going to die, right? They're both lying there probably dying and nobody knew exactly where they were. But yes. they both made it. Spoiler alert to yep. anybody who hasn't watched the season we've been talking about now. But uh, <laughs> so they, they both make it in the end. So what I'm, I'm going to ask you this now. We got four main characters this season. What are the odds ah. that one of the four of them doesn't make it? I, I'm, I'm going to. OK, yeah. Can Let's we do, do like official, predict- official, official predictions, predictions that we have to hold to the end of the season? Yeah. I'm not saying which. Do I have to say which two? I'm just no, gonna say no, no, no. Just I think say two. how many. Yeah. You think two, two of the four it. are going to die. I think one out of four will die. All right, all right. Official predictions, ladies and gentlemen. This is is the official prediction music. (laughs) This has been official prediction 2015. Yes. Um, So moving on to something else, um, another quote from Colin Farrell. It's uh, more to do with what's happening with the characters than the solving of a murder, which Mm -hmm. is kind of what I think the first year was about anyway. So hopefully people respond to it. You never know, but it was a blast to work on, which is such good material and such a wonderful cast of characters. So there we go. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted also. I liked the interaction between those two guys. Well, to me, you're right. The characters are the most important part, but you also can't Uh skimp on the mystery. I mean, you got... I, I love mysteries. I have been... I was reading Agatha Christie when I was like 10 years old. I love yeah. a good mystery. And I want there to be something to keep me intrigued for all, what is it, 11, 13 episodes, 10 episodes, something like that. For the whole season. I want to be yeah. following this mystery there, and trying to figure it out. There were only eight this season. I'm hoping I'm hoping for eight. I want to tie oh, eight. Okay. I'm sure it's the same. I just, yeah. I've been watching a lot of uh, HBO shows lately, and they all seem to have 10-episode yeah. seasons. I don't know. It's true. Um, uh, David Morse, who's also, uh, he's the dad in Contact. Boom. He's going to be in it. And also, Rick Springfield. Because why not? <laughs> because why not? Um, and a couple of other people who I've seen here and there. Someone from uh, uh, Catching Fire, which I'm excited about. I like that guy. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, one of these characters has been damaged by years of turmoil. Which sounds familiar, also. I would I um, would also wager money that more than one character is damaged in this show. I mean, if I last year so. was anything to go by, I think you got a 100% success rate on characters being damaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Um, at one point, uh, they do find a corpse that has occult symbols scratched on his chest. Hell yeah. But then, 
But then yeah, I heard from the, the creator, though, that he's like, well, it's and then satanic symbols, they say later. But he's like, well, maybe we're kind of going away from that. But I don't know. I don't believe them. I think well, it's got it. I think it would. It has to have some kind of occult thing. I hope so, because that's one of the things that was so fascinating last year. But that said, you know, there was a, a, an interesting thing I just thought of, or at least I think it's interesting, I don't know, is that uh, in season one, they have all the occult stuff, right? They're finding all the twigs and the whatever, and you have that whole thing about there being a cult out there. And I know I said earlier about, oh, you know, I could just imagine my neighbor's probably doing something right. But um, in all seriousness... Back in the 90s, there was a thing. There was a, a thing that swept the nation, a paranoia about satanic oh, cults. Yeah. And all oh, of yeah. a sudden, they were supposed to be everywhere. And anytime you found a dead animal, it was because there was a satanic cult or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, we realize that that was a lot of people freaking out over nothing. And so mm -hmm. I wonder, I don't even know what I'm trying to say by this. I, I liked that they had that in the scenes in the 90s, but then... Are they going to have that in this one in the present day or what? I don't know. You know. Mm -hmm. It just, could just be some. It could just be some like dickhead kid killed someone and and put a pentagram on him. Could be. You know? Yeah, that's that's what's a hundred percent more likely nowadays or at all. Even back then, you know, there wasn't really anything going. You know, just yeah. FYI, after school special, everybody don't join a cult, but you don't have to really worry about it because <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> Yes, and and also FYI, your daughter is not going to be like um, sacrificed to yeah, and with <laughs> like goat goat blood and stuff. There's a really good actually um, uh, stuff you should know podcast actually did one about that about like the, the it was called Satanic Panic. Yes, I and think I heard that one. That was a good one. Mm -hmm. um, a little a little thing. Um, uh, the season two trailer thing said bad men, hard women, and the secret occult history of the U.S. transportation system. But then. That's got to be the only way that you could make the U.S. transportation system interesting for an HBO TV show is if it's involved <laughs> in some sort of ancient government conspiracy. Yes, but then Nick Pizzolatta takes it back and says there's definitely bad men and hard women, but no secret occult history of the U.S. transportation system. That was a comment from very early in the process and something I ended up discarding in favor of closer character work and more grounded crime story. Oh, you know so, that's just okay. misdirection. Around we'll episode five yeah. or six, it's going to come out. Oh, shit. The whole reason Eisenhower invented the interstate system was because he was working for the Illuminati. We know it. Yep. Yeah, it could be <laughs> Illuminati. It could be, it could be a Roger Rabbit thing. Who knows? Who knows? It could <laughs> oh, be all shit. about the if this, if this devolves into Toontown, uh, I, I'm going to actually like it better, I think. <laughs> I don't know. And you know what's weird? None of these things say what era this takes place in. Nothing I read says when it takes place. Well, the trailers look, look modern day, but it could be anywhere from like the 80s up, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, that, totally, and that could that could actually have a play in it. You know, there could be you know gas crisis kind of stuff. There could be war kind of stuff. You know, yeah. But I've not been able to find an actual definitive what time period does this take place. And the last yeah. one, you know, it ended in modern times, but a lot of it took place in the past. So, um, well, and then mm, yes. I found um, but wait, uh, HBO's spooky, yes, HBO spooky cop show brought the satanic directive detective genre to television, and I figured with William Friedkin, the director of The Exorcist, on board, it would continue in that vein. So what? Huh? Is William William Friedkin going to direct an episode or two of this? It's I like, don't know. Literally that that sentence in the middle of nothing without saying anything else. So huh. boom, and then there's a picture of the creepy guy with the mask on and the fingers, and I'm scared right now, Shane. Sadie, I am here I'm, in my own house by myself with darkness outside, 
and you're telling me this shit. And you know what? I have my earphones in, which means I can't hear if somebody's breaking into my house right now. So thanks. Thanks for that. Yay. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, it's, it's full on daylight here. Ha ha. And my family's upstairs and the crows are screeching. Stupid um, the other thing I have. The only other thing I have is that season two is set between Los Angeles and San Francisco, an area that spans 400 miles. So, okay. so there you go. So it's not actually like set in that one little spot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is kind of all I have on my little, you know, things that I researched today and read about. And See, yeah, you, came to, the, you came to the program way more prepared than me. I got to work on this. No, you don't. <laughs> I'm the I'm the host, and I'm the one who's supposed to bring the talking points. But yeah, okay. yeah right. when we get into the, when we get into the episodes that we have each watched a whole episode, we'll be yeah. we'll be golden. It's oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yes. Well, yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts? Uh, no, I think that was about it for me. Uh, I feel like we uh, we covered everything pretty well. I just can't wait. As we record this, we've got what like three days till season two. It's gonna be yes. awesome. So, yes, we'll be recording next week, um, either Tuesday or Wednesday. Generally, we're going to try for Mondays. But yes, generally Monday next week. Yes, because, um, you know, it's not going to give people a lot of time to get their emails in, but I kind of want to get the show out fast. I well, kind of prefer that, and people, people I, can feel free to send emails in late. Yes, not feel, a feel free to send emails in late. We'll read them on the next episode. But, you know, get, you know, get them in Sunday night if you want to. I always write in – I try to write in as soon as possible. But uh, – what was I going to say? Oh, you you are going to be hosting another podcast this summer, and so you've got to get this done by Monday or Tuesday night so you can be focused on the hilarity and fun and happy-go-lucky world of Under the Dome. Yes, but I don't host Under the Dome. I just have to show up. Okay, so- <laughs> well, you know, you still got to yeah. record it and stuff. I do, I do. I have to watch it, and I have to record it, but I don't have you to have edit to watch it, it. nice. Even if I, I fly to Portland, to even if I fly to Portland and do the whole Clockwork Orange thing with your eyeballs and make you watch it, you're gonna watch this. <laughs> well, when Nate flew to Portland, we watched it together one morning. Like, got up and turned on CBS.com and drank coffee and had bagels and shit and watched it together. And still yeah, felt so like far, going Nate, out into the world after that. Yep, I would have gone right back so to bed. We've managed to do, we've done American Horror Story together, like in person, and cool. and also. On but the that's film. a good yeah, show. So that's fun. I know. Except for this year, so we'll see. Hmm. Oh, anyway. So, you have been listening to the inaugural episode of the True Detective Podcast brought to you by Bob Specs. My name is Sadie. That guy's name is still Shane. Yes, it is. How do they get in touch with us, Sadie? They can write to us at BalticEffect at gmail.com. And you can also uh, interact with us on on the Facebook. And Shane, we'll need to make you an admin on on BalticEffect page. We'll do that. Hell yeah. um, I promise to wield my power benevolently. <laughs> you should. You should totally do that. Um, yeah, we will uh, talk to you guys next week, and thank you so much for listening. After the wake Boom. Thank you.
Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.